0: So now I would like to ask that Kyle Wright do her introduction.
1: I'm right here, Kyle. Hi. Hello. Thank you. Thank All you. Right. <laughs> You're welcome. So this lady likes to hike and also run, and she also loves Disney like me. And um, to present this uh, more information about the I Can Connect program. To bring on the dream team. <laughs> Here is Leah
2: Newman. Hello, my name is Leah Newman and I work for the Helen Keller National Center. And I'm joined by Lance Kamaka and K.L. Wright to talk about the I Can Connect program, which is also known as the National Deaf Blind Equipment Distribution Program. So an overview of our program is that we provide free distance communication equipment and training to people with both significant hearing and vision loss who meet federal disability and income eligibility Mm -hmm. guidelines. And this program was created to help participants connect with friends, family, community, and the world. which. I feel is so important right now, especially during a pandemic, to be able to have those connections with other people um, in your community and in the world. So the goals of our program are to promote increased independence, reduce isolation, enhance social interaction. And um, this program is for distance communication and not face-to-face communication. Some background on our program is it is part of the landmark 2010 federal law, the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act administered by the Federal Communications Commission. And one of the reasons this program was started was because a group of people with combined vision and hearing loss went to the FCC and let them know that they did not feel safe and that they could not call 911 Uh, in case of an emergency because they didn't have that accessibility with um, the equipment that's currently out there. Um, And this program was a five-year pilot program and became a permanent program as of 2017. And this, the ICANN Connect program is available in all 50 states, the District of Columbia, American Samoa, Guam, the Northern Mariana Islands, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. So it's available in every state, territory, and Commonwealth. And I myself cover Hawaii and the Pacific Islands. To be eligible for this program, you need to have significant combined vision and hearing loss that causes difficulty in distance communication meaning you need to have be legally blind and have 20 over 200 vision with correction or have a progressive condition such as glaucoma macular degeneration uh, or different um, syndromes such as usher syndrome that would cause that vision loss and then for hearing loss you need to have a mild to profound loss that impedes communication. And then for income eligibility, you need to have a household income of less than 400% of the federal poverty rate or qualify for low-income assistance programs such as SSI, Medicaid, or food stamps. And on our application, we provide the chart uh, for the federal poverty rate. And so you're able to look at the number of people in the household versus how much uh, you're able to an- make annually to qualify for this program. The I Can Connect program provides the individual with an assessment to begin with. Once your, all of your application and supported uh, documentation are submitted, we have an assessment to inform suitable equipment and software per the individual's hearing and vision loss. Uh, We look at distance communication goals and existing equipment and technical skills that the consumer has. And what is really great about this program is we don't just provide an assessment and equipment for the consumer. We also provide the training uh, for all the different types of equipment and we on Hawaii are uh, work with the island skill gathering, which is an amazing company that provides training for assistive technology and our trainers go to all of the hawaiian islands and work with our clients and they also don't just provide one-time training they will keep working with the client until they feel comfortable with the product or for example if a pandemic arises um, the client may want more training on zoom or google meet or different online communication platforms and Our clients are able to contact the trainers and receive more training on the equipment that they have from our program in order to be more connected with the people around them. So for our program, we provide amplification devices as well, but we do not provide hearing aids. And then we also provide braille devices, but we don't provide training on how to read braille. apply for our program. Each seat has its own application and that can be downloaded from the iCanConnect.org website or you can let HAB know and I can uh, connect with you to, to provide an application for you and I can also assist with completing that application. And then after you're accepted, then we'll go through the steps of the assessment and Uh, the installation and then get your training started. The equipment in our program range from different types of smartphones or mobile devices, computers, laptops, tablets, braille devices, signalers, uh, software such as a JAWS program. uh, And also amplification devices such as speakers or headphones and different types of Large keyboards. We have a lot of different great equipment out there, and you can access some of that equipment on the iCanConnect.org website. There's a link called Equipment, and you can read about different equipment that we have to offer. It's not all listed on that website, but uh, there's a good, a good amount of things posted on there for you to check out. And uh, that is my part for today. And now I'm going to pass it to Lance and Kao to talk about how the program has impacted them.
3: My name is Lancelot Kamaka. And I was first introduced to the ICANN Connect in 2012. Prior to that, I had an iPhone. I, I got an iPhone 4S and I was using it to do texting and um, but I was using Siri at the time and Siri with its flaws um, had you know would, would text me wrong messages. Um, people received the wrong stuff and I got so irritated that I had to really learn how to use gestures prior to the I can connect. Um, um, Then in 2012, like I was saying, I was uh, introduced to I Can Connect, and I am so thankful because it opened up a new world for me. Um, I got my first braille note from Humanware, and I was able to write really quickly send out my text messages my email i could receive them in braille Um, it was a really really just just a new world for me i i was so in love with the texting that i had to get unlimited Um, and so the first device i got from i can connect was um from humanware a braille note apex which I must say, out of the, all the equipment, it lasted a long time, a little over two years. And then I got, um, after that my um, bro Note Apex kind of broke down. And so I was, um, my rep suggested that I should try another device So from I Can Connect I got. Um, an upgraded version of a Braille note taker, which was um, from Hims, called Braille Sense YouTube. And I liked it very much. Um, And then it kind of broke on me, the the keys um, broke on me after much typing and wear and tear. Uh, It didn't even last for, I would say maybe about a year, less than a year. Then I got the Polaris because I subscribed to a list that said that the Polaris was great and I got a big raves about it and so I got it and then I had to get it repaired. Um, no fault of I can connect, it was just a fault of technology that I guess with newer technology with its progress, and more more features they tend to break down more uh not like my Brono apex which lasted so long but anyway i'm very thankful that i can connect has um allowed me to do these things and that's it
1: aloha everybody i am kale right and i got started with the iCan Connect program back in 2015, my first unit, well, my first piece of technology was the Braille Note, uh, the Braille Sense U2, and this opened up a lot of doors for me because I am often in a noisy situation, and I have my iPhone with me with speech, but there should, I um was struggling because I couldn't really hear very well, so we managed to get this braille display to help me read email and text messaging for communication and also I'm using it I used it for a uh, broadcasting situations where I am a internet radio broadcasting uh, broadcaster and I used it for, um, for emailing listeners and also to look up song names and track um, track albums also during the show, and to communicate with us, with listeners for uh, with the computer. My next purchase that I got back in 2017 was the Braille Note Touch Plus, and I got it from Humanware. And this was this unit was able um, this piece of technology was able to it able it enabled me to help me out um, communicate with others as well especially using email with it and also text messaging in a noisy situation and i was also able to take notes when i was in the professional learning and leadership institute program which i attended in 2019 until last march so I think the I Can Connect program has done a very great job, especially in the world of communications for us deaf-blind people.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Leah of I Can Connect. We're going to move on now. Can I please uh, welcome and ask that Ankar Nurakar come and do his, pres- his introduction. Ankar?
4: Yeah. Hi. Can you hear me?
0: Yes yes, yes. yes. Okay. Good.
4: All right. All right, guys. Uh, my name is Ankar. Um, I'm here to introduce, um, Amy Downard. Uh, she has been a part of my life since I was a kid. Personally, uh, she's she, she was my first TVI, uh, since uh, and will always be, and then has always been a part of my life. Um. Uh. She currently still is a TVI with the, with the DOE, and along with that, she does also teach um, and, ha- and help individuals as contract uh, doing o uh, as well. Uh, she is originally from Louisville, Kentucky, and I would like to introduce Amy Donner. Thank you so much.
5: Wow, thank you, Ankar. Yes third grade I believe we first met and look where we are now. I'm looking through the list um, of participants and I'm like, yeah, I met her when she was eight. Yeah, I met her when she was seven. <laughs> so it's great to be with my family here on a Saturday. Uh, my name is Amy Downard and I'm a teacher for the Blind and Visually Impaired for Honolulu District, formerly from Kauai District and formerly from Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I have been in Hawaii, yeah, since 1998. And so one of my coworkers, Jeannie reminded me just the other day, she goes, guess what, Amy? I said, what? She says, we're the old timers now. I'm like, we are? But I guess we are. We are some of the old timers that have been teaching for over 20 years in our state. And it's been a real joy to work individually and in a group with so many people here today. Um, Today, I wanted to share with you two ideas, and the first one is about group O&M, and the second one is something that uh, Michelle Arakawa talked about earlier, how to replenish our staff. Uh, Also, uh, Aliyah Diaz, too, uh, for our adult clients as well. We constantly need to replenish our staff to promote independence and to support uh, individuals of all ages in our state who are blind and visually impaired. And to do that, we have to work really hard. From 2000 to 2010, uh, we had a very aggressive campaign from uh, Pat Hamamoto was our uh, superintendent of the Department of Education at that time. And she uh, really helped us. There were three main cohorts that went through from 2000 to 2010 to replenish this staff. Um, As a teacher here for over 20 years, there've been hills and valleys. When there's heels, when we're fully staffed, amazing things happened. We had group o opportunities, and we call those peer interactions. And if we look back, we met every month sometimes three times a month with different age level of students in elementary school, we had a middle school group and we had a high school group and three times a month, we would have a peer interaction where we gathered together and we worked on orientation and mobility skills and so much more. But uh, some of those skills were how to get to the events, the, the location we would meet at a store. We would meet, um, sometimes on a different island. So we would have to take a plane ride to get there for all these fun activities. Uh, When we had older students who were about to leave our schools, we would meet down in Waikiki and spend the night in a hotel. And we would travel to different colleges to uh, learn about their services. We would practice ordering food. We would practice going to store to shop for something. Uh, One of the students would say um, at an early age, would say, um, I don't know how anybody goes shopping. It would take me hours to go through here. And so just that one experience at a store was the launching pad to shop for himself in the future. Another student, um, when I said, okay, you have to get your money together to buy an item at the store, he would sit on the ground with his wallet open and his backpack open and his money everywhere. And it's like, well... We probably need to work on the skill a little bit. So when we gather, we can support each other, we can celebrate uh, our relationships with each other, but we can also work on orientation and mobility skills. And I love to do that in a group setting. So as we're hopefully, fingers crossed, triple crossed, quadruple crossed, as we're trying to launch back out into the world, uh, encourage your members to have some group orientation and mobility activities you could have an O&M instructor at that activity. And as we replenish our staff, there'll be interns, uh, orientation and mobility interns who have to get a minimum of 350 to 400 service hours. So you'll have some people who need to learn about like sharpen and learn how to be an O&M instructor, but also the support of someone there Uh, as perhaps one of your members or a group of members are trying to sharpen their skills for mobility. So for today, uh, I have some questions that I would like to ask two of our interns that I've had the pleasure to work with. Uh, First of all, about a year ago, the person who just spoke in the deaf-blind section, Leah Newman said, oh, Amy, I'm going through an O&M program. Can you help me with some hours? I'm like, well, I don't know if I have time for that. We're short-staffed, I don't know, but how can you say no to Leah, because she's always full of enthusiasm, and she's really taught me a lot. So I said yes, and I'm so glad I did. And then Chloe, um, who I'm going to introduce in just a minute, she also said, well, you're helping Leah, Amy. I'm also going through a program. Can I get some help? I'm like, well, I don't know. Really busy. We're short staffed, but then FOE came on board too, and then we've had so much fun together with O and M uh, group activities and individual support. So today, I would like to reintroduce Leah Newman, who's a deafblind specialist for the Helen Keller National Institute, uh, center. And also Chloe Rose, who is a teacher for the blind and visually impaired for Lever District, who's been teaching. I I asked her, has it been three, like two or three years? She said it's been five years. I can't believe how time flies. And she uh, is also a teacher for the visually impaired, but she is getting her orientation and mobility certification slash degree from University of Northern Colorado and Leah's getting hers from Portland State University in Portland who has a, a big, um, like these both colleges have uh, good strong relationships with Hawaii and many of us who are teachers have gotten our degree either from Portland State or from University of Northern Colorado. So uh, if you wanna unmute yourself, Leah and Chloe, will get together for a few questions to ask and answer. First of all, good morning, Leah. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm doing well. And great. What about you, Chloe? How are you doing? I'm doing great. All right. to be here. (laughs) Long time no see. I just saw her yesterday for a wonderful uh, lesson that we had. So for the next few minutes, I would like to ask you four questions. And I'll surprise you with saying Leah or Chloe. And then I'll answer the question as well. So... Uh, First of all, my question is for Leah, I'll start with you. Uh, You're already a deaf-blind specialist, so why did you choose to add O&M Orientation and Mobility to your certification?
2: So I was first exposed to Orientation and Mobility when I was in an interpreter, an ASL interpreter program in San Diego, and I worked as a support service provider providing human guide, Um, and so that kind of got me interested, and then once I moved to Hawaii, I met Jennifer Darn- uh, Tarnay with the Deaf Blind Project and she talked to me about o and And really, I didn't know much about it and I was like really interested and the pandemic had just hit. So I was like, I think I have might have some more time on my schedule here. And then I applied to the program and I'm so happy that I did.
5: That is great. And um, Chloe, same for you, same questions uh, or same question. Why did you, you were already a, a successful teacher for the blind and visually impaired. You had already spent all this time at school. What made you go back to school for your O&M degree?
6: Um, well, mine uh, stemmed out of frustration, which, you know, how most things happen. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was just, I felt like I couldn't fully teach my students. I deemed a lot of these skills incredibly necessary. Um, and there was also like a actual like kind of physical line like that I couldn't cross, you know, that was the o that you can't, you know, even though I see it in everything, We do with our students. That was the O&M. So um, yeah, it was a little bit of frustration to get it, and it has been a little bit hard on um, on Island. And so I hope that we're like kind of paving the way um, to make it easier. Um, Also, you know, you really have to do it because there's not also not any financial gain with your work, you know. Um, So yeah, you just really have to do it because you see it as necessary. And so yeah, but love it.
5: I agree. I, those are both great answers. For me, too, I was a teacher for the blind for about six years. Uh, when I was leaving Kentucky, they were starting an o program, but I was just leaving. And then when I was on Kauai, um, the rural um, travel was really challenging, but I didn't have that certification. And we, we just had someone come over from time to time to assist. And now in Honolulu, when I was a teacher uh, there, there was a, a cohort going through because there were no, we, we had maybe one in the whole state for uh, O&M. So uh, they had a program and we actually had 11 teachers certified as o instructors with the University of Northern Colorado uh, around 2003, 2004. And many of us old timers like me, oh no, um, are still around uh, with that o degree. And you're right, it really, like when we get out of the classroom, e- even when we're in the classroom, of course we're using o If we wanna go find a water fountain, we're using o But um but when we go out into the world, it's just that there's like the world is your classroom. So that's what I, I love: orientation and mobility, and I'm hooked because we can explore a vending machine to get something independent, or if we can do something as as much as going to school without being on a school bus. We can you know ride a city bus and get there. So I am absolutely hooked on O and M. Okay, here's the second question for you both. I'll have Chloe go first this time. Chloe. What do you think O and M was before you began your studies compared to now? Because um, you know you're you're almost finished with your degree. How did your perspective change from start to finish?
6: Yeah, so I originally I actually had a lot of experience with it as I'm saying. Um, I also came from like California School for the Blind, where we had like a set O and M program. So um, then I would work with them a lot. So I had a lot of knowledge before going in, but um, to gain the the pedagogical content knowledge that I did from my program has like it was it's a lot and it really helped me to like learn the intricacies of everything. Um and yeah, so I I'm, I love it now too. Um I like I said, I kind of saw it as a hurdle um, too, that I had to get, but now that I'm in it, I I'm obsessed and I wanna teach all my kids all the time. And <laughs> yeah. Oh, everything. So,
5: yeah. I agree. And then what yeah. about you, yeah Same question from start to end. How did your perspective, like, did you think o was what you thought it was at the beginning of your journey compared to now?
2: Um, so, I was really exposed when I started working for Helen Keller National Center, but that was a center-based, like, orientation and mobility structure. So, it was really interesting to start the program and learn more about community-based and, like, you said, Amy, the world is your classroom. So really, O and M is everywhere, and I didn't even like realize that. And now, everywhere I go, I like am connecting it to orientation and mobility and different concepts and different skills, and it's it's really exciting.
5: I agree. Now, for the third question, I'll have Leah go first. Um, Oh, yes. Uh, for my comment, I would say, yes, when we go to school, we look at the textbooks. This is how you do something like we're robots, but when we're out in the world. Of course, we're not robots. So I agree when we were out there and individually working with someone, these firsthand experiences are so memorable and so meaningful. And I learned so much as a team with my uh, student or my client for orientation and mobility. And um, I don't always have the answer. So that's that, that problem solving that we have to do every day. That's what I I'm hooked on. So for the third question, going back to you, Leah, O&M covers so much. What area area of O&M do you like the most so
2: far? So last year, I was lucky enough to go to Camp Spark, and that's a camp for um, blind and vision-impaired youth, and it's a sports camp. And so there we focused a lot on proprioception and kinesthetic uh, concepts and skills. So I really love uh, incorporating orientation and mobility with sports and being active and exercise like tether running tandem biking uh, our onm adventure club did a hike recently um, so just a lot of active onm I had a deafblind client come and we got to do onm with water sports and we got to do onm on a bus tour and um, I got to do um, like onm with kayaking with him and he's deafblind and he uses tactile American sign language. So I got to like map out the, the bay that he was, that he was uh, kayaking on his back and do some um, mapping on his hand. So it was just really fun to be outdoors in Hawaii, doing something that's like fun, healthy, good for you. And then helping be a part of creating that access.
5: Yes, yeah, so we have a great yeah. place to explore here. And and, and what do you, uh, like, what's your comment for that, to uh, Chloe?
6: Oh, yeah, I would say I absolutely love it. I also love the, like, uh, kind of the nature of o allows you to play games a lot more with your students. Just And it's, yeah, more so than, like, kind of the standard tech lessons, you know, that I usually have. So um, the games are really fun. I'm also, uh, I like the area of integrating technology. I'm a big techie teacher. I came from, like, engineering, and I just, yeah. So I like integrate the integration of technology with OM a lot, um, and also like where it does and and doesn't work. You know, I really like exploring that a lot. Um, so yeah, that's a lot, area I like to explore and work with.
5: I agree. That's uh, that's funny that you mentioned that because uh, beginning of a lesson or a session, when you go out, you get all the answers, right? But then when you get in the real world, you're like, oh, I didn't think about that oh, wait a minute, how come this is happening today? It didn't happen yesterday. How come the environment's a little different? So again, that problem solving is always active. So for my last question for you both, um, um, I would say I will go back to Chloe for this one first and then Leah, what is one OM skill, app, idea or anything at all that you wanna share with the audience today?
6: Um, so, my go-to is just Seeing AI. I know uh, probably a lot of people have heard that. Um, even when we're doing anything, just, like, we'll pull out Seeing AI, mainly just because it has so many options in the the app itself, short text, color, money, handwriting. So, if we're, like, looking or opening mail, you know, we just pull out the Seeing AI, um, or the other day we were in Longs and we were walking through and just to read the aisles of the store as we're walking. So we don't have to go down each aisle to find all the products so that we can just like quickly use it to find our way. Um, I also, I know this isn't out there yet, but if you guys, if anyone hears about this, please, please, please pump it up and try to get it going. Um, uh, Refresh Full page refreshable braille displays, I think could have the ability to change um, so much in our world uh, for our students. Um, so they're still in a lot of research and development. So it's not out there yet. They keep on starting and stopping, but for a full page refreshable braille displays can provide like incidental learning that our students don't have just in the classroom. If they have like a picture or something or um, on their refreshable braille display that everyone else is seeing, they can have content knowledge and an understanding of that. So um, they can also use it for tactile maps on the go, right? So a full page refreshable braille display that like Updates because I found that tactile maps were great, but usually I have to create the maps. So, yeah, full page professional braille would be great. So, if you guys hear about it, they're, they keep on going to different owners and trying to get it going. But, yeah, that'd be awesome.
5: That would be, oh man, you're right. Because uh, when we create a tactile map, um, like we're creating it. You can create a type of Mac out of, out of some Legos or some everyday household um, you know, materials, but uh, it, it does take a while to get it together. So on the fly, we, we don't have anything at all. Aliyah, what about you? What's uh, In closing, what's uh, one of your favorite O&M ideas, app skills that you want to share today?
2: So recently, a bunch of orientation and mobility specialists from the different Hawaiian islands came together, and we were talking about different apps, and I was introduced to the Clue app, which was a lot of fun, and we got to try it with youth and also adults. And it's an indoor-outdoor path tracing navigation app. So it's able to record, share, um, record and share nav and navigate routes. So we used it at Long's and we also used it at the mall to get to different stores and you were able to record going there. And then it would, um, give you verbal instruction. And also, um, it would beep and give you, um, tell you like which way to go back. And also visually it would give you like a red line to show you which direction to go. And it seemed, it had a few kinks to it, but it seemed um, to be really beneficial. And it was a lot of fun to try out. Uh, and it was pretty successful with the students that we were working with.
5: Yes, yes. I was there too. And I was like, wow, it's beeping at the right time. <laughs> uh, for, for, uh, for me, one of my things I want to share in closing is um, tips. Like I, uh, this is called tips and tricks. Let's talk about just tips. I was just with someone yesterday and also with a student previously who loved a metal glide tip. But when he was walking home, it, it wasn't his preferred tip. So because we had the hook style cane, he was able to swap out the tip and use a jumbo roller or a metal ball, um, not a metal ball, <laughs> uh, a rolling ball a tip. Uh, because that was a little bit easier for kind of like the rough sidewalks or if there was a lack of a sidewalk, there was a path. So I really encourage everyone, uh, if you have a tip on your cane, kind of think about other tips to try out. And if you have a slip-on tip, that one might be a little hard to pull off and pull on. It depends. Uh, The hook style tip, you can change those on the fly. But then if you let go at the wrong time, that cord might go back into your cane. Everybody, that's happened to us. They have screw-on tips uh, at a recent training there was a ceramic tip that people were crazy about, but some people were like, oh, I don't like that one. So it's really a personal preference. Um, so my tip is to check your tip and uh, try some different ones. And for these group O&M adventures that hopefully we're almost back out there in the world, um, like check out each other's tips and say, hey, you want to try? You know, We have a few spare canes today with some different tips. Why don't you take a walk with it and see what you like? And then you might be surprised and going, oh my goodness, where's this tip been my whole life? So in closing uh, today, look at this wonderful energy, this old timer trying to walk in these two young timers <laughs> in the world of o and And we wanna keep replenishing that field. So please help us with that as we get more interns, hopefully soon uh, going through either Portland State's program or some other college or uh, just a volunteer from time to time to assist. Thank you so much for letting us speak today for orientation and mobility. And thank you um, for having this wonderful convention every
0: year. Thank you, Amy, Chloe, and Leah for your wonderful presentation. Thank you, thank you. Great stuff. Okay, so now I'd like to uh, ask Roberta Tomas to come back. Aloha
7: everyone. I'd like to introduce our panel and they travel through many barriers both in OM and as well as taking buses, trains, automobiles. And of course, here in Hawaii, we have paratransit, handy van. So we have six speakers on our panel today. One of our speakers, her name is Natalie Barrett. She is currently at the University of Hawaii, um, getting her degree, her PhD, actually. Congratulations, Natalie. Our next speaker um, that's also on this panel is Vicki Kennedy. She is a guide dog user, handler, sorry about that. Her guide's name is Buddy and she will be answering the questions as well that is on your program. We have Ankar and he is a bright student and well on his way to the mainland, he will be working for Amazon. So he is one of the um, people that I believe Leah Diaz, and Maureen was mentioning. So I figured I'd just pop it in there. We have our traveling uh, professor, Dr. Andar Islech. And we also have two of our students that um, have participated in our back-to-school shopping spree in January. We have Kreda Mizutani. And we have Skateboy Sanis. I would like to also introduce Terry Linhigashi. Higashi. She will be giving the questions. And everyone has an opportunity to answer the questions one at a time and then a little discussion. And hopefully if there is time at the end, we can open up for audience questions. Go ahead, Terry, take it away.
8: Aloha, everyone. So the first question I have today is, when traveling, what obstacles did you have to overcome in order to get from point <laughs> A to point B?
4: Are you going to call out names? Or are just gonna go? Uh, Natalie,
8: or would you like to start? Let's start with okay. Natalie. Okay.
9: Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Natalie Barrett of Correction. Roberta, as much as I'd love to be going for a PhD, I'm completing my master's in creative writing. So yes, very close to finishing that. But um, could you repeat the question one more time, Terry?
8: When traveling, what obstacles did you have to overcome in order to get from point A to point B?
9: My biggest obstacle, and the first one that pops into my head, is getting over my fear of asking people if I got lost, you know, for help. That was always a big fear. Now, I am a blind offspring of a blind parent. So this is this should not be new to me. My mother pushed me and pushed me and pushed me. But even as as late as my late 20s, I was still having issues with that one big thing because if I could ask if I could just overcome this and ask people when I got lost it made life so much easier because it was I got less stressed and stress equals headaches. But I will say what helped to overcome this Really, I really attributed, well, one, my mother, of course, number one, but the ACB convention, I started my first convention in 2010, and I, and I know I'm sounding a plug for ACB, but it really did make a difference. When I went there, that was, I remember calling my mother and I said, Mom, this is amazing. A thousand blind people in one hotel. I'm not the minority. And it really helped me. I mean, to, to talk to people, I, you know you have to sit next to sometimes strangers on the tour buses when you go places you don't always know the people there and you're going to have to stop and, and ask even a blind person excuse me can i follow you or excuse me which way are we, are we going what are we doing it really makes you have to because if not you're going to be left behind and that's the one thing none of us want to be none of us want to be left behind so that's my answer so thank you
8: thank you Natalie.
10: and uncle-
8: video now
1: started
9: alert
11: Aloha everyone. My name is Vicki Kennedy and um, I've been a cane user for 12 years, but I've always wanted to have a guide dog by my side. And I was really fortunate and blessed to have three wonderful guide dogs from Guide Dogs for the Blind in San Rafael, California. Now I did not get a guide dog until after the law prohibiting service dogs to come into Hawaii. Uh, and that was in 1997. So I got my first guide dog in 2000. So it's been uh, 22 years since I've been a guide dog handler. Um, my my obstacles when I traveled uh, with a guide dog, uh, I've really had two. And the first incident was several years ago. Um, I wanted to uh, uh, go to a uh, appointment in San Francisco because we were living there at that time. And so I walked to the Hyatt Regency on Embarcadero and I asked the bell captain if I could get a cab and uh, to make my appointment in the city. And so he whistled for a cab. The cab drives up and uh, he uh, the the gentleman opened the door for me and he says, Uh, take her to such and such an address. And the cab driver looked at me and looked at uh, my guide dog and said, "Um, I'm not going to take her. And he says, why not? He says, well, I'm allergic to dogs. And so the gentleman knew that he was lying. And because even if you are allergic, you have to take somebody who is blind with a guide dog and um so anyway he slammed the door shut got the gentleman's name and uh he got all the information on the cab and he told the cab driver don't you dare come back here because we've got your number so the the cab driver screeched away and uh the the bell captain whistled for another uh cab to pick us up and uh I believe the other cab driver saw what was going on. So he dare not say I have an allergy problem. Uh, But then he says, sure, no problem. So we jumped into the car and we were whisked away. So that that was a good thing. And uh, the other incident I had was at the San Francisco airport with my guide dog several years ago. And I uh, was on a trip to Hawaii then, and I was checking in on my flight and the uh, agent says, um, well, uh, do you have a crate for your dog? And I said, this is a legitimate service dog. She is my guide. She sits with me in, in in the cabin. And she says, well, all pets have to be in a crate and they have to go under. I said, she is not a pet she is my guide dog and then i knew she was not going to budge so i said may i please speak with your supervisor and she reluctantly uh in a huff got me the supervisor supervisor comes looks at my reservation in her computer and she says oh i see we have a beautiful guide dog here and she says all guide dogs and service dogs are allowed to be on the plane with the passenger. And so this agent was not happy, but um, I was, everything got resolved right then and there. And this goes to show you everyone that you always have to be your own advocate, okay? Today on the planes, everybody welcomes me with my guide dogs because they say how, Wonderfully behaved, these dogs are. Yeah. And then, and then also, uh, they have to allow us on there. And because today there's a strict law with the Air Carriers Access Act that legitimate service dogs are welcome on board, but now emotional support dogs, the ones who have all of these fake service dog vests and so forth, are not allowed to be on the plane. So uh, advocacy is first most with everyone who has a um, a challenge. And uh, for us with canes or with guide dogs, speak for yourself and uh, be your own advocate. I cannot stress that enough. So thank you.
8: Okay, thank you, Vicky. And then just in the consideration of time, if you guys could try to limit your your answers to a minute, that'd be really welcome. Thank you so much. And can we um, go on to Ankar? Same question, Ankar. When traveling, what obstacles did you have to overcome in order to get from point A to point B?
4: I think for me, I had many obstacles. Think- now adopt alert. If you think about it, for for me, um, my, my major obstacle really is when I'm gonna go to a new place or when I travel to a new country. Um, I kind of worry about how I'm gonna get from point A to point B in the sense of what is my transportation like. You know, is there is there a train? Is there a bus? Uh, and where I'm staying at, is there? How do I how do I get around? So. And I, I get that kind of that worrisome that how am how I going to get to point A to point B, yes. So what I always like to do in that case is when I'm before I'm gonna go somewhere new or a new country or a new place uh or a new city, I like to go onto Google Maps and do some research, uh, look at the area that I'm staying in and kind of see um what my options are as far as transportation goes. You know, where is the train stations located, where are the bus stops at. Uh, what places go where to what places I want to visit, you know what so I want to go visit a, um, a a memorial or some sort of a museum you know how do I get there from my hotel? Um, so I like to plan ahead um, and make sure that I'm able to do so. Um, you know as Roberta said I am I am moving you know to a new state very soon uh, for employment. and my big concern is I've never been to that state. I've lived in that state I've visited once or twice, but never lived there. So one of my goals right now that I'm doing to help myself prepare is to do that research. Um, you know, where is my office located? You know, where is, where should I live in a convenient spot to either walk to the office or take a, take a train or a bus to work. Um, and I'm, I'm making up maps to prep that or, uh, to to prep myself for my OM skills. Um, because I'm, I'm gonna need O and M. I'm gonna have to get. I'm gonna, like Amy Downard said in her speech, you know, O and M is really critical. Um, and I'm gonna have to find, and I, I, have to find a state agency to help me with the O and M skills that I'm, I'm gonna need there. So, that, that that that's what I like to do to prep myself, and I, I do the same thing when I go to conventions as well, ACB conventions. So,
8: thank you, Ankar. Thank you. And maybe lastly, hear from Dr. Ander. Same question. When traveling, what obstacles did you have to overcome in order to get from point A to point B?
12: I agree with the previous uh, panelists, but not to repeat the same thing. So I will add on that. So I think the biggest barrier for me was my own view or my own perspective and fears. So I was always afraid of what if I get lost? And then that or like uh, facing unexpected uh, problems. Uh, After a while, for a long time, that was one of the main things preventing me from moving around. And then I start to make sure uh, that yes, those kind of things could happen, but always uh, that will allow me to find the solution for such a problem. So yes, I got lost several times, but uh, at the end, still I could find my way, and this kind of uh, led me to explore new things, such as if there is a like a, again some some of it might be less relevant, but if the buses are not accessible, I had to figure out where to get off uh, the bus, either by asking the people or determining from the turns which the bus makes. So that was one of the points. The other one is um, my parents were incredibly overprotective. And since they didn't know anyone with visual impairment around us, so they were always preventing me to do anything by myself. So I had to kind of convince them that actually I uh, I am capable to do things. And that takes them time in the beginning when I was traveling to different countries, I wouldn't let them know and then just after making the trip, I would share them pictures and other things. And gradually, they got used to the idea that I can travel by myself, and they were much more relaxed. Lastly, I think many people with permit might face similar things as well. But in some countries it's, or some different cultures, because I know U.S. is a very diverse country from different cultures. So the, the looks of the other people on the street or the questions, the comments I was getting was really pissing me off. And like for a while, in some cases, I didn't want to go out or I was sort of very mad with them. But that also was like gradually I have to uh, learn how to, deal with those comments sometimes I just ignore them pretend as if I didn't hear or if I am in a mood and if I have a time I kind of stop and explain them things and how it is not always helpful just shouting be careful be careful but like be careful means nothing if or the words similar saying over there so try to these three main Uh, things I think were the biggest problems for me and gradually I could get over that.
8: Thank you, Dr. Under. So before we move on to our second question, I wanted to pose the opportunity also to Boy and Kreda. The same question. When traveling, what obstacles did you have to overcome from getting from point A to point B That's sorry, Sk- Sorry, um, can I answer the question? Sure, go ahead, Skayboy. Thank you. Well, the obstacles I have to face are
13: um, drop offs. You know the sidewalks where they have those deep steps. Yeah, I have to face through those. Cause one time I was um, walking um, with my mom and I had my cane with me and I was on the on her right side of her near the near the. Um, near the street, near the road area where cars go, and I didn't move my cane fully to the side and I fell, and then I was on like the grass, and, and I was like, I didn't know there was a drop off there because I, mo- I didn't move it all
8: the way to the side of me. Okay, thank you, Skateboy. So let's move on to a different kind of question, more um, geared toward the youth. So, other than going from classroom to classroom, do you use your cane when you're outside of your school or home? If yes, what types of obstacles have you faced when navigating outside of your school or home? Skateboy, let's start with you. Well, um,
13: the only time I use my cane is when, um. Like in very big places, and I, I'm not familiar with that yet. And obstacle thing is that um, I always have to be careful for um things that my cane might miss, and I could bump into.
8: Skateboy, I had one more question for you. Are you the only blind student in your school?
13: Yes, I'm the only vision. Visual- impaired person at the school right now. I don't, I never met anyone blind or visually impaired at my school yet. So yeah, I'm pretty much the only one that's visually impaired.
8: Thank you so much. So I have a, another question here. It says, what advocacy issues do you currently face? So let's start with Ankar.
4: Alright, um, in terms of advocacy, um, I think one of the big questions and the things that we, we face as a blind community is just the, the awareness of, of who we are in society, you know, I, I feel like till today, um, there, are, there are certain individuals who don't know how to approach us, you know, how to, how to assist us, you know, if they see us on the street. Um, you know, you we still encounter and hear stories of people just pulling blind people across the street without asking them for um asking if they if they need help. You know, because many of us are are independent. Oh, you're now alert. Um, many of us are independent nowadays. Um, and we know how to get out, or get around, but the sighted community doesn't sometimes want to take our our you know our reward and say no we are going to help you and I think that needs to change and we do need to advocate for that um for that right and to educate the community to say hey you know we are a blind community but we are independent as well I
12: don't need
3: to give a call thank you
13: video now started alert
8: thank you Ankar and can we ask Vicky Kennedy for a response same question yeah. what advocacy issues do you currently face
11: uh, th- thanks for the question, Terry. I totally echo what Ankar said because it's all about educating the public. You know, um, when I was a cane user, everybody shunned me. Uh, no one came Kradamizu up to Tani me left to alert. speak with me, okay? And, um, you know, now with a guide dog, it's all, of, I welcome that because everybody finds it so welcoming oh my what a beautiful dog you have and they want to talk to you about your dog and in that same instance I educate them about uh, blindness and visually impairment
13: and so when
11: um, uh, I was a cane traveler I always say no one came up to me and said my what a beautiful cane you have so it's all about educating the public and I welcome questions whenever I'm out with my guide thank you
8: Okay, um, Natalie, same question. What advocacy issues do you currently face?
9: Um, Nikki, real quick, I have to say I laughed at that beautiful cane. <laughs> so true. It's more like, <laughs> what's that stick for? Um, yeah, right. <laughs> my issue is technology accessibility. Recently, I applied for a job at a, a Zoom interview, and he they, they needed to check if the, if the technology they used was accessible. I don't even remember what the job was for. 10 minutes, he said, well, I'll check on it. I'll get back to you in a couple of days. Well, he got back to me 10 minutes later and basically says, oh, sorry, our, our technology is old. And, you know, because you would be an independent contractor, we're not, we're not, uh, we don't have to provide accessibility on the, 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 techn- the software. And I just said, fine, okay. I mean, it kind of upset me and I could have pursued it if I wanted to, but I didn't. That's my biggest issue. There's so many jobs I would love to apply for but it all comes down to, to my, my blindness and, and my accessibility on not just technology, but really accessing. Like, how would you, you know, if you were a substitute teacher, which I also applied for, how would you get down here right, real quick? And how could I explain that to them in, in the, the amount of time we have on a telephone interview? We just can't. They would need to see me in action. And that discouraged, it's very discouraging. So that's my biggest issue. Thanks.
8: Thank you for sharing, Natalie. And lastly, Dr. Under, same think,
12: question. Okay, so, uh, thank you. So I think, like, uh, advocacy, I feel sometimes it is almost my second job, or even in some cases, my primary job, which sometimes really, really like annoying and I feel tired of it. But to get to, uh, for to get some progress, I think we have to do it not only for ourselves, but for the ones who have a visual impairment and going to be on the same path with us. Because I had such issues back in Turkey a lot. Um, So simply individuals who have a visual impairment were not allowed to work in the kindergarten preschools or primary schools as teachers. So that needed to be really huge advocacy. Same for the accommodations, I think, the exams and other things. And now I am part of a bigger campaign to make the elections to be accessible for the blind. So I think, yes, sometimes we feel like down about it. But I think as a folks with visual impairments or blindness, we have to continue to push because if someone didn't, advocate earlier for themselves or for the j- bigger audience or bigger group, I think we could not have many of the things we, d- we already have now, uh, thanks to their advocacy.
8: Thank you, Dr. Ander. And we're trying to go back to one of our panelists, Miss Crater. and sound as well now, or is she still muted? Trader? She's actually not here. Okay, so she must have just left again because I saw her. Okay. Okay, so the last question that I want to pose to all the panelists is... Audio now unmuted alert. What steps, if any, have you taken to request for access to assistive technology? Let's let's start with Natalie.
12: Mm-hmm.
9: Oh, sorry. <clears throat> um sorry, repeat the question one time, real quick. Mm-hmm.
8: Question is. What steps, if any, have you taken to request for access to assistive technology?
9: Oh, off the top of my head, that that's a that's a difficult question because I there's been many times where I've I guess the, the one that th- comes to mind is probably in school. Uh, up until e-text, there was Great. there I was mean, a lot yeah, of textbooks I that I needed to access and. When it got to a point where I could use eText, I, you know, even though they had so many more EUH, they had so many more students, I had to, I, I requested this as much as possible and it was hard for them, but they always got it for me because doing tests and especially when you're in English classes and you have to refer back to books, it's it was really important that I use JAWS, the screen reader, to... No, go go to places on the, in the text where I needed to go. So it was really important. That was that's off the top of my head, the one thing I can remember very adamantly asking for accessibility, in accessing. Thank
8: you. Thank you, Natalie. So I just noticed, Crater um, is back with us, and I wanted to pose some questions to her. So hi, Crater. <coughs> so I wanted to ask you what. What types of obstacles have you faced when navigating outside of your school or home?
10: So the obstacle that I face, like to travel like outside of my school or home, like I get nervous to like walk around. Like if if there's like something in front of me, I will I would just stand there like not knowing, not knowing like what to do. And like, until until someone tells me, oh, you have to go around this, or you have to go like, you have to go like between okay. that. And that's, that's when I noticed that, like sometimes I get really nervous to go, go around like the obstacle course. And then the next incident, it was about the escalator, like outside of school, I I was nervous to go on the escalator, cause I I was afraid that I'm, I'm gonna fall, and then like I didn't know how to get on the escalator until we had our um we had our stuff our uh a mass training session with the guide dogs, and then that's when I learned how to use the F- escalator, and then that's when I stopped getting nervous. So yeah, that's all.
8: And crater, are you the only blind student at your school?
10: Um, there's there's another student that um she's yeah I'm the only totally blind student at my school, and right now, some of two of them are um like visually impaired they can see a little bit. Okay,
8: and. Lastly, Kareena, just going kind of back to our original question. Um, what steps, if any, have you taken to request more access to assistive technology? So obtaining more assistive technology.
10: Uh, like, what do you... Like, what
8: do you, um, have, you have you had to request assistive technology
10: in your school. Uh I had to I had to request like a real touch that way I can like I had a hard time like doing my Google classroom like during the pandemic. Like when the first when the pandemic started, I had a hard time like going online like with the iPad because it wouldn't it wouldn't let me do like some of the Google classwork that I'm supposed to turn in. Mm-hmm. So I requested a brown note touch from Guys on the and thankfully they were able to mail me a brown note touch and I'm able to like finish my work faster like um efficiently and then um I can finish them on time.
8: Oh great glad to hear that. So going back to our last question. What steps, if any, have you taken to request for access to assistive technology? Wait, sorry. Unkar, you... um, uh, oh, thank you, Creator, for your answer. I would like to pose that question to the other panelists. You know, Ankar, let's go with you.
4: Okay. Um. So I think Um. I've had many journeys as
8: press all it, plus
4: you know, um, in asking for different technologies and services throughout my. Uh, career as going to K twelve, going to going to school, and now in as employment, uh, going to a uh, going to a company uh, for my job, and so Audio just to briefly touch, I, I think I I first started that journey, um, access, asking for services through Ho'opono. when I would go to school. I when I was starting my my college career, I asked. You know, for them to support me in that in that well in that realm and help me help me get the computers and the technology that I needed, you know, uh, Zoom text and whatnot to help me with my uh, educational career. Um, secondly, when I was in college, I I always made sure that I can every semester or every quarter, I I made sure that I connected with my 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 counselor at the at the school. Uh, at the Accessibility Office at the University of Hawaii to make sure that I had the, uh, my textbooks were accessible in PDF format, um, and I could get those books to me prior to the semester starting. So when school started, I had everything ready to go. Um, uh, And lastly, um, I also um, use other services um, to help me. So now now that I'm in uh now that I'm going through employment and I'm working with my new employer, um it's actually my duty. It's actually my job to reach out to uh as many people may know, uh large companies, they actually have an accessibility team that will help you with the onboarding process and interview process as well as after it once you're employed, um give you further services to help you get the technology you need. So uh, when I was going through my interview process and when I first applied to the job, I had to make sure that I had, I, I, I told the employer that I need X, Y, and Z to support um, doing my interview process, which I which I had to personally go and reach for. And so as you get older, uh, I would like to mention you know you need uh, and you know scale boy and creator you know it's for you actually, um, you know being a, being an advocate for yourself and being able to support your needs. Uh, you need to be speaking up for yourself rather than be in school, um, university or in a, in the workplace. And so that that's the many ways I've been looking at doing my stuff. So you know now as an employee and now that I'm currently working. I had to actually reach out to my manager and say, "Hey, I need X, Y, and Z software, uh, Zoom text, you know, for my employment," uh, which they which they gave to me, of course. So I think it's all about advocacy for yourself and speaking up, uh, and not and not waiting till the last minute, you know. Be be proactive in what you need.
8: Okay, thank you, Ankar. Thank you. So, in the in the interest of time, I would like to um, open up the panel for the audience to ask questions.
12: As we are waiting for the questions, can I answer this question as well, please?
8: Sure, Dr. Ander.
12: Um, I think I have like two extreme example about this matter. So the the first one I had, um, my university at San Francisco was very accessible. So everything was there, whatever I needed, either it was provided or when I asked it was provided. But when I went to the UK to do my PhD, it was a completely different story. So the university, I was one of the very first PhD students who is blind, and they don't, they didn't know what to do with me, probably in terms of accessibility, and also they had the, like weird rules about being not being citizen of the England or uh, the kind of Commonwealth countries. But then. When I checked what, uh, like the university policies, the official documents, they, I figured it out actually, they had to offer me accessible solutions, including the computer jobs and other things, and even their websites. And then I kind of, when I communicated with the appropriate people verbally, I couldn't get any result. And then I s- put it in written, so that the university has like a written complaint process, which you need to submit a petition, and then they will review it. And after that, that took a couple months, but at the end, it was escalated to the highest level, which is like almost a board running under the CEO or the uh, president of the university. And that board accepted that they, could not, they didn't do what the, whatever they were supposed to do. And in order to, yes, they took a, like a very um, aggressive, uh, actions to solve the problems to make the university accessible and on top of that they for example they compel- they accepted to compensate my visa fees and they waived <coughs> the one year of the university tuition so which is like 12 000, it was 12000 pounds nowadays i think it would be like around dollars 16000 so simply the university because of my complaint I, and i could uh, follow whatever i was supposed to do the university someplace said, Okay, I'm deducting your fees and I will make the accessibility measurements. But if I just took that answer and sat down, I think nothing will happen. And very quickly, the the, the another experience, the one regarding the university I work for now in Turkey. So I'm also one of the very uh, probably the only one, the only professor with visual impairment. The,
11: Wright has left the meeting the and they
12: didn't know what to like uh, they didn't know anything about the accessibility, web page accessibilities and the blackboard and other things. After a couple requests about the, the pointing the problems and the solutions, they just pointed me out. They like as a, um, a disability coordinator for the entire university on top of my teaching duties. And I was communicating. So I started to kind of command actually, or tell the people what to do to make the university more accessible. So now Thanks to that uh, intention back in Turkey, we are we having like one of the most accessible university for all uh, students with different sort of disabilities, not only visual impairments and blindness. Uh, so simply, we have to also stand as anchor set. Thank you,
0: thank you, Dr. Thank you. Ander. and thank you, Terry, and the panelists. I'm so sorry; I don't mean to cut you off, Terry, uh, but in the interest of time. Um, like you said you know we are um, we are just uh, we have to get in that window of one last speaker before lunchtime so again thank you all panelists and Terry for your presentation i'd like to bring up natalie barrett at this time natalie hi again everyone natalie barrett here i have the
9: great pleasure of introducing our keynote speaker mr david trott just a quick thing, because we all want to get to what he has to say. I know I do. So he is the ACB, American Council of the Blind Treasurer. He is a resident of Talladega, Alabama. Tell your wife I said hello. He's been involved with businesses and services for the blind and has spent over 40 years uh, com- uh, dedicated to community service. And he served on the, I'm going to get this right, the Alabama Department of Rehabilitation and Blind uh, uh, Services Adver- Advisory Committee. So without uh, anything else, Mr. Trot.
14: Good morning, and thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm sorry that we're not in person, but uh, things just didn't happen that way for us. So um, it's good to be here. I want to bring you up to date on ACB, but I want to bring you up to date by starting out saying that uh, when when we began the pandemic, uh, the staff and officers approached it with some trepidation because we didn't know what would happen. And I'm proud and I think you will be after you hear what I have to say today to say that we came through the pandemic, not only sub- surviving, but we also gained in so many ways. And a lot of great things happened during that time. And. I'm, everything I say is not ranked, but the first thing is I think the number one thing that we have to be thankful for coming out of this pandemic is that everybody, every member of ACB now has the ability to vote. And that's something that we spent years and years trying to make happen. And we got into a situation to where now it's happened and it's just a great opportunity to empower our members to be part of this great organization. So use your power to vote and use it uh, to be a part of the great organization that you belong now that you have the opportunity. Don't, don't let it pass you by. We had a great thing happen this year. The the uh, first annual uh, AD Awards Gala came about, and a lot of things came out of that, but, but two really good things. Uh, Well, three, actually. We raised over $60,000. CBS uh, committed to 100% of their primetime program to be audio described. And one of the greatest coups to get us known outside of the organization is it was streamed live on NBC Peacock. So these things have never happened for us before. And they're just an opportunity that only comes along once in a lifetime and, and we took advantage of it. Um th- we're known nationwide or actually worldwide now for our work with audio description. We we were the pioneers uh with Dr. Joel Stevens, a lot of work with President Dan Spoon and p- immediate past President Kim Charleston. Uh we we really have become the leading experts in audio description so people don't just Um, talk about audio description. They talk about audio description in the American Council of the Blind and the work that we do. Uh, We certify audio describers. Um, We produce lists of where you can go and find stuff that's audio described. And you might not personally, if you can see, be a fan of audio description. I can see and I'm a fan of it. But audio description in the community will touch somebody you know's lives. Uh, It'll give them the opportunity to be uh, more immersed in their television programming. And it's just a great thing that we're doing here in ACB. So anytime that you get a chance to look at something audio described, if you've never seen it, uh, it's a great opportunity for you to really get more out of a production uh, than just sitting around watching it and wondering what's going on in the background. So uh, not just TV shows and movies, but sports. Uh, you know, the Olympics now for the second or third time are audio described. And uh, I understand from a lot of my friends who are really involved with the Olympics at that level. Uh, it's, it's made a vast difference in their lives that they've really been able to become immersed and enjoy something that, uh, that they are fans of. ACB ended the year. 2021 in our best fiscal condition ever. Uh, Having said that, it takes a lot of money to run our organization, but we are moving forward. We're, we're trying to manage our money. Well, we ended the year uh, with all of our things, the uh, board reserve account, which runs the day-to-day operations, our scholarship endowments um, and uh, our new fund, that uh, will end our ACB so that we can live forever. Uh, All three of these together were over $5 million. So we really done well uh, coming about, you know, uh, at the end of the year that way because we really expected to lose money both years during the pandemic, and and we've moved forward and hadn't done that. So uh, you may hear us when we talk about the budget talk about a negative budget but when we end the year for the last two years uh we've been well over a hundred thousand dollars and then in, in one case over two hundred thousand dollars ahead so we're managing your money well and still providing more services um one of the things that came about in, in mitch Pomerantz which i'll talk about it uh when i talk to you when i talk to you later on today uh one of the things he wanted was an advisory board. This advisory board would be made up of people outside of ACB that's not necessarily in the blindness field, but they will help with things like uh, advocacy, fundraising, uh, member project management, uh, legal. And they, we have a full panel that you will meet during the uh, leadership seminar. Uh, we have seven people now on that board so it's it's really been a great opportunity for us to grow uh they they've given us a lot of advice and a lot of help uh this provides us with services that we don't have to pay for that literally would go into the thousands if not hundreds of thousands so it, it is really a great opportunity for us to to grow the organization and also introduce people to blindness uh, that might not necessarily have been connected with Linus in the past. So it's, it's a great opportunity for us to grow and learn uh, and really become more of uh, a, a well-rounded organization. Over 100, I'm, I'm sorry, over 1,000 attendees for the National Convention last year. This was... Uh, a convention that, that was, was done. Nobody there. And for the last two years, we didn't know how these would work out. But last year, we added a new new thing and it can give you the ability to vote. And this took a lot of work with our Constitution and bylaws people. Uh, but we all wanted it to happen and we wanted you to have a voice in the organization. So for the first time last year, people would be able to vote. And that weren't, actually at the convention as we go into a possible hybrid and we'll make that decision the first of april but it looks like we're going to a hybrid convention this year you'll still be able to vote still have that opportunity so it's great not everybody can go to convention we encourage you to go when you can but know that your voice is still heard if you're not able to attend every year and this is something that came out of the pandemic, and this this right here is one of the best things that, that ACB can be proud of. Over 1, 150,000 touches to blind people from our national office and officers and administrative staff. Uh, this has come about through the community calls, uh, through different advocacy, through our expanded ACB media program, uh, through our Expanded email list and revamping of those. Uh, I've been watching those. It seems like people want to take take more part into them than they did in the past. So we're really growing there. And um, it gives you a chance. And, and the officers read those posts. So ACB community and those things, uh, if you have something to say, put it out there. You know, let us hear from you. Uh, that's the way we learn. Uh, we we learn what we're doing right and also uh, what we're doing wrong. So we want to hear from you. Uh, at this point, we've had over seven thousand community calls. This is uh, with with two over uh, two hundred facilitators. This is a lot of work from Sandy Hollis and, and and her intern, and she's done a great job with this. And we've got a diverse amount of calls from. Uh, religious books, cooking crafts, um, advocacy—you name it, it's out there. So it, it really gives you the opportunity to take part uh, in a in a in the organization, and you, you're not only is your voice heard, but you're getting to participate. Uh, I wouldn't have thought of crafters over a a Zoom line, but it's worked out great. They have a lot of shows. I I see them in the schedule, so. Pardon me. Uh, it's, it's just a great opportunity. The the 150,000 touches, that's just great. It shows that we are not only working with our membership, we're reacting to our membership, and we're learning. Uh, we, we're getting your advice, and we seek your advice uh, to help move the direction of ACB. And you'll learn more about the different things that we're doing uh, with with that kind of thing at leadership in the next week. So y'all be sure and attend that. Uh, we begin. We've been getting a lot of press from places like the Wall Street Journal and New York Times. Uh, accessible voting. We had some problems in Virginia, Florida, a couple of other places, and and the work that we did there got recognized in these these publications again that's getting the name of the organization out there and more and more people are learning about the advocacy work of of the american council of the blind and this just gives us the opportunity to uh know that that our work is not in vain that people are listening uh you know it it takes a lot of time sometimes to get a piece of legislation passed uh, melanie bronson one of our executive directors um helped get introduced the Marrakesh Treaty. And as ongoing as it, all as it was worldwide, is widely accepted, it took 10 years to get Congress to pass it and the president to sign it and thus sign on. Uh, and it gives us books from around the world in different languages we can share with different countries. Uh, it's, it's just a great opportunity for those to read, those in that are in education or working on their degrees. It Gives you, if you're learning French, gives you the chance to get books in French that you can actually look at the French pronunciations and all. So it's, again, all these things coming together, you know, are are things that take time. So when you look at legislative impairments and you say, well, I heard this a year or two ago, uh, know that these things don't happen overnight. And know that your voice now, um, with Congress looking at Zoom meetings and all with their constituents, it gives you a better chance to be heard. So take advantage of that when we go through the legislative uh, seminar next week and you know, pick up what we're doing with the imperatives and contact your senator. You don't have to be president of your organization. Uh, you, you're, you're the membership, and that membership is the most valuable part of our organization. Without you, uh, there wouldn't be any need for a treasurer like me or president like Dan Spoon. Uh, Because we wouldn't be here. So I always know that as members of this organization, you're so important. We just had a sign-on letter with 150 organizations with DOJ for digital accessibility for website standards. Uh, We work with the National Federation of the Blind on that. Uh, We're doing some work with the National Federation of the Blind. And uh, we're we're building a, a good relationship with them. And it's, it's just helping us so much to work together rather than working against each other. Uh, we've expanded our staff. Uh, we've had a couple of uh, resignations lately. Uh, Jennifer Flatt's last day was yesterday, and we will be replacing her. We just replaced our uh, human resources um, and pa- payroll clerk. She will start till Monday. And so, uh, and for those of you that know, Kelly, Kelly is off on maternity leave right now. So as we move into, uh, this period where we use a lot of staff, like with the legislative seminar and the convention that we are a little shorthanded, but, uh, we'll get back up to par and we're going to have a great, great two events with the, uh, leadership. And then with the convention, the get up and get moving campaign, uh, you've probably heard about this. Uh, it's, it's a a campaign where we recognize the need for exercise among, among all of us that we need to get up and get moving. If you get up and you move around for three minutes a day, it's good for your health. Uh, it's also a fundraiser for us. It's also a way to get, uh, other organizations and companies on, on, uh, on board with us. We're going to have some companies. uh, I'll save those for Tony to mention next week because I'm not sure which ones have actually come on board yet. Uh, We've been working a great deal on this, but I will tell you that if we're able to have our hybrid convention, there's a historic walking bridge between Nebraska and Iowa that the Get Up Camp and Get Moving campaign people. Uh, We're all going to have the opportunity to go over there and walk that bridge And it'll be a media event as part of our "Get Up and Get Moving" campaign. So, if you're if you're there in Omaha and you're able to take advantage of it, it'd be good for you to to get up and get moving. Excuse me. So diabetics take a lot of water. (laughs) Oh man, we had a lot of successful fundraisers thanks to y'all last year, and I'm I'm gonna give you. a a little bit of of update on those. Um, Our walk raised over $86,000. The two auctions together raised over $66,000. The Braille Forum Raffle raised over $25,000. And the MMS, that's the monthly uh, monetary support program, still raising over $100,000 annually. So this, this is a great, uh, a great fundraising year. We're, we're truly, truly excited about it. And uh, we, we think that, that uh, this year will be even better. Know that us as members contribute about 17% of our annual budget. So anytime we don't want to pray hard on our members, um, you know, if you can give very little, then the MMS program is probably for you you can give $10 a month and uh, have half of that come back to your chapter. So it's, it's a great opportunity to give, you know, at all levels. Uh, we'll be kicking off the walk here shortly. Uh, we'll be kicking off the Braille form raffle. Again, you'll be able to do some of this stuff through your registration when you register for the convention. And uh, of course, the MMS is ongoing. So, uh, the Braille Form Rifle in the walk. Now, the, I want to talk to you a little bit about the convention. And what I'm telling you now may be a little premature because we haven't voted definitely yet, but it looks like we're going to be able to have a hybrid convention. And the convention is going to be a little different if we do. The auction will kick it off virtually. And then we will have several presentations and meetings virtually before we ever get to convention um the 23rd 24th and 25th i think is when those meetings will take place it'll be stuff like the president's meeting and and things like that and some of your special interest affiliates may have stuff going on in there too and then we will move into omaha there will still be uh virtual aspects of that so you'll have the opportunity to be a part of Uh, all the different things going on and you'll have a better opportunity this year uh, even if you go to participate in more because we're going to have a lot of it virtually before you ever get there. We're doing this so that we can incorporate the stuff that we learned during the pandemic people want so we can have the number of sessions. There's no way, for example, that we could put in that week where we're all going to be in Omaha 150 plus sessions it's it's just not possible so we want to make it to where we're still giving you what you you seem to have wanted over the last two years but we're making it possible for you to uh participate on site as well or stay at home if you you know if you don't feel comfortable or if you know that old horrible money or work uh is involved you know some of some of us have well i don't anymore i'm retired but we've had to work during convention time and that's always a bad thing to have to deal with because you want to be there but hopefully we can go back this year and be able to socially physically interact uh with our friends and our acb family and i'm hoping that's what we can bring back to you this year as as we move forward well let's get ready for leadership uh Bear in mind, you'll start getting more and more information this week. Uh, I would tell you about it, but I don't even have an agenda, a full agenda yet. Uh, but I know it's it, you're going to have your board meeting next Friday. Uh, it'll be carried on HCB radio if you'd like to attend to it, um, Then we'll kick off the event Saturday. So uh, it'll be a good opportunity for you if you hadn't registered yet. Be good to go ahead and register and you get those uh, Zoom links so you can actually get in and participate
10: i was gonna i was wondering like the you had said that the the olympics were all audio described but i have i had no idea that that was the case and i don't know how one would find out about something like that
14: the the best way that i can tell you because uh, this is a field outside of my area <laughs> We do have a full page on the uh, a link on the ACB website, and we do have a full audio description website where they list the shows it's on, movies you can get, uh, like if it's streamed on Apple TV, there's a list for those. Uh-huh. If it's streamed on Netflix, there's a list for those. Uh, and these these lists are. Uh, take, they're very time-consuming to create, but they do a good job of creating those lists. But it is a massive list. I'm probably a little ahead of schedule. Um, but Just a tad. <laughs> I'll, 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 run, I'll run behind on the next one, probably. <laughs> but but uh, again, let me say that uh, it, it is great to be with you this weekend. I hate I'm not there in person. Uh, when art first asked me to come, uh, I jumped at it, you know, it's, it's, it was a great opportunity to, to speak to a group that I hadn't had the opportunity to speak with in the past. Uh, I just hate that I'm not there in person because I love, uh, I love to meet with everybody. I like to sit down and, and have dinner with, with people that I've never met before. And, uh, it, it's, it's really sad. This to me, that's the worst of the pandemic is that, you know, as, as an officer who travels and, and speaks that I hadn't had the opportunity to meet new people because mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm kind of shy, you know, and, and <laughs> but uh, I, I do. I really love to meet new people. There's never been a mic I didn't like. So, uh, you know, it's, it's just uh, a missed opportunity, but it's, it's great to be with you.
0: We're glad that you're here, Mr. Trot. We look forward to your keynote speech this afternoon. Thank you very, very much. So now it is time to get up and get moving. Guess what, guys? It's lunchtime. We have one hour till one o'clock. But wait, wait before you move and get up. Um, There's a couple of things. So I'm going to ask Antonio to come back, do his magic with some door prizes thereafter acb media team please play uh the song by danny crouch i believe it's called these islands and guess what guys and gals our own vicky kennedy will do the hula to that dance so please stick around for that um and then we'll meet back here again at one o'clock okay so take it away and uh antonio (laughs)
15: all right uh let's do a few here then so Uh, First up, we have a uh, Hawaiian lap quilt uh, with H-A-B on it, maybe embroidered perhaps. I'm not 100% sure I haven't seen it, but um, this is by Mona Yamada, um, and I believe she she made it because usually that's the case. (laughs) So uh, this is going to be going to, uh, let's see, uh, Lenny... Oh, Yeah. Wow.
0: Oh, I think our students are hitting one hundred percent here. What's going on? Right. That's awesome.
15: Great. Yay, well, we, we do we do have a lot of prizes, so your odds are <laughs> <laughs> pretty good.
0: Oh, good! <laughs> Yay, Lenny!
15: <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, we've got we've got a big one here. Um, this is a fifty dollars Walmart gift card. Nice. All right, and this was uh, given to us by uh, Laura. Thank you so much, Laura. That is extremely generous of you. Yes. Um, and this is going to be going to uh, A.J. Wilson. A.J. Wilson, congratulations. <laughs> That's right. awesome. Do you want to do one more? What do you what do you think? Sure, sure, Antonio. Okay. We have a whole hour. Uh, no. right. <laughs> just
0: <kidding>. We're waiting <laughs> on right. Vicky to do her hula. Yes. So We've go got, ahead.
15: One, uh, okay, one more here. A $20 Starbucks card. Nice. All right. Nice. And yes. this one was uh, by once again anonymous. So thank you whoever you are. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, this is going to Dave uh Eveland. Dave Evelyn. So, Dave, uh, congratulations. You got a $20 gift card for Starbucks.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Antonio. Awesome.
11: People who are blind are often lucky in love. 65% of Americans who are blind are married or live with a partner. And only 16.5% have been divorced. Maybe love is blind. Hawaii Association of the Blind. Advocating independence, equality, and opportunity for the blind.
5: Technology helps people connect in many ways. We're moving to Florida. Mm, Okay. With tablets and screen magnification software. Great picture. Can I come back to say hello? We can
2: have a quick bite for dinner. Oh, that sounds like a plan.
5: With braille displays, computers, (coughs) smartphones, and more.
2: Mm, (laughs) (laughs) Kids.
5: I Can Connect provides equipment and training to help people with combined hearing and vision loss connect with the world. Find your state program at icanconnect.org or call 800-825-4595 or TTY 888-320-2656. We
4: are mothers. We are students. We are sons.
7: We are grandparents.
9: We are writers.
11: And we are blind. Hawaii Association of the Blind.
13: What if this was all that you saw every day? Or what if it looked like this? What if you couldn't see the world around you? What kind of world would that be? Hawaii Association of the Blind. Advocating independence, equality, and opportunity for the blind.